This summer, the world must answer one question. Why has no one made a popsicle that gets you high yet? That's right, it's summer, and it's time for you to get your hands on America's new favorite product, Danksicles. 20 milligrams of THC in two great flavors, the latest and greatest innovation from IndiCloud. Is IndiCloud the greatest company to come out of America? Maybe. But what we do know for sure is that IndiCloud is the best way to get dispensary-grade cannabis delivered directly to your door, 100% legally. Yes, they ship legally to all states. No medical card needed. Whether it's vapes as big as your head, flowers you won't find in your mom's garden, or of course, popsicles that get you high as What are you waiting for? Go to indicloud.co slash spring24 and get discreet delivery on top shelf THC products. Head over to indicloud.co slash spring24. That's co, not com, to snag 30% off your first order. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. I'm back with another true crime story to lull you to sleep or perhaps to give you nightmares. Nicholas Rossi, aka Nicholas Alaverdian, aka Arthur Knight and at least 13 different aliases, is an American man with a turbulent past. It seems like he has two sides to him. One, being an advocate for children who were victims of abuse and violence. The other, being a liar, a scammer, and a rapist. When his lies began to unfold, Nicholas decided that it was time to fake his own death. But when he would land in the hospital battling a severe case of COVID, everything would come to light, and Nicholas would be discovered leading a very different life with a wife, two children, and a whole new Scottish identity. Was this the case of a man on the run or a case of mistaken identity? Let's jump right in. He was born Nicholas Alavadarian on July 11th, 1987. He grew up in Cranston, Rhode Island, where he was raised by his mother and his stepfather. His biological father was a violent drug addict who had abandoned the family when he was only three years old. His stepfather would legally adopt him as his own when Nicholas was eight years old, which is also when he would take the last name Rossi. Later in life, Nicholas would very publicly detail allegations of abuse and alcoholism by his parents, though his stepfather would tell a much different account. According to his stepdad, Nicholas was the quote-unquote devil's spawn, who would hit his own mother and steal from his very own grandmother. From an early age, Nicholas was diagnosed with behavioral issues, and this led to a very violent and turbulent home life. He was constantly in trouble, he didn't listen to anything that his parents told him, and he always tried to control the situation. It wasn't for lack of trying. Nicholas's parents tried to get him help, and at one point, he was even placed into psychiatric care. This is where he was diagnosed with having a narcissistic personality disorder and ADD, attention deficit disorder. He was treated for his mental health issues, but they couldn't keep him at the facility forever. So eventually, he was released back into the custody of his parents, back into the family home. 
he would continue to abuse his mother, his grandmother, and his siblings. The situation became so unlivable that Nicholas was placed into foster care when he was 13 years old. It wasn't an easy living situation for him. He was bounced around and he didn't have any consistency in his life, and so he never even really attended school. Nobody was really keeping track of whether he was in school or not. But he did kind of catch a break when he turned 14 years old, and he was hired as a legislative page in the Rhode Island State House of Representatives. It was his first job, and it was a great one. It might seem a little strange that such a troubled young man was able to secure such a prestigious job, but Nicholas, he was known to be a talker and a charmer. He was able to turn it off and on as he needed, and he would talk people into doing things for him all of the time. Nicholas worked with really important state government officials, helping them with their paperwork and any other administrative duties that they needed him to do. In this role, he made a lot of connections with people working in different agencies and departments. Those who remembered working with him at the time would later describe him as a very persistent, somewhat pushy teenager who refused to take no for an answer. This kind of attitude served him well in his role, and people took notice. One of those people being a former state representative, Brian Coogan, who saw him as an underprivileged, hardworking teen and kind of took him under his wing. He would later say that he felt sorry for him. Everyone knew that Nicholas had come from a difficult upbringing. It was something that he was very open, public, and vocal about. His story was that his parents weren't able to care for him because they were alcoholics who abused him, so he was taken away. He left out any details about his own behavioral issues. At first, the relationship between Nicholas and Brian Coogan was very positive and very professional. He wanted to help the teenager out any way that he could, and when Nicholas would show up for work with bruises and injuries that he said that he got while in foster care, well, that was just unacceptable. Unfortunately, he would find out that all of Nicholas's abuse claims from the foster care home were likely faked, and all of the wounds that he would show were possibly self-inflicted. And then Nicholas did as he was known to do. He pushed the boundaries. He even begged Brian to adopt him because he was being mistreated in foster care. Thankfully, something in Brian's gut told him not to do it, and instead to put some distance between the pair because things just weren't adding up. When Nicholas turned 18 years old, it was time to move out on his own. This is also when he took his claims of abuse while in the foster care system to the next level. He became an active voice and a well-known face in advocating for children who are lost in the system. He was making a name for himself, and he was getting the attention of people like Rhode Island State Representative Ray Hall, who fully believed all of Nicholas's claims. Nicholas told him stories of how he had fallen through the cracks in the foster care system, and now he wanted to make sure that other kids didn't have to go through that. It sounded wonderful. To Ray Hall, Nicholas was a hero. And again, while it is possible that Nicholas did suffer from abuse in these foster homes, just like he alleged, 
He never filed any reports of it, and so there's no specific evidence to back up any of his claims. That's not to say that it didn't happen, we just don't know for sure. There are reasons why we need to suspect the things that he says. But what we do know is that this child advocate was also already a convicted predator. In January of 2008, Nicholas Rossi allegedly assaulted a young woman who was 18 years old at the time. The pair attended the same college together in Ohio, and Nicholas asked her if he could walk her to class. She said yes, and as they walked near the basement stairwell, he pushed her, he attacked her. Literally within an hour of meeting him, he was on her. He put his hands up her shirt and then down his pants. She told him to stop, and he told her, I'm almost done, don't be a bitch. When he was finished, she was able to get away from him and ran into her classroom quickly, but he stood outside the entire time, waiting for her to come out. When the class was over, she walked out, and he was standing there, apologizing over and over and over again. She was brave enough to report the assault to the authorities, even though he pressed her not to. At the trial, he tried to garner as much sympathy as he possibly could by walking into the courtroom with a cane and a fake limp. It didn't work on the judge, and Nicholas Rossi was found guilty of public indecency and sexual imposition. He was also required to register as a sex offender every year for the next 15 years, which also meant having his DNA and his fingerprints on file. This would come in handy, because unfortunately, this would not be Nicholas Rossi's only assault. In 2010, there would be at least four other victims in less than a year. Even after he was convicted, Nicholas continued to draw the whole case out. He attempted to overturn his conviction by using a fake MySpace post that he had created to try to show that the victim was lying. Again, this didn't work, and the judge was easily able to tell that this fake blog post was doctored. But can you imagine doing that to a victim? A lot of his interactions with women were as a result of online dating websites. In one instance in 2010, he met a young woman from a dating website and demanded that she sleep with him while they were at his house. She refused, so he decided to take advantage of her in a different way. He forced her to withdraw $400 from her bank account at a local ATM, and then he made her sign a document that she believed would protect him of any kind of repercussions. The document basically said that she wouldn't take any legal action against him, and she was giving him the money so that he could go to therapy for the way that she had treated him. I'm not joking. Later that same year, Nicholas met another woman through Craigslist, and he would harass her for sex, not allowing her to leave the home when she refused his advances. With this victim, he threatened to kill himself if she told anyone. The young woman did in fact go to the authorities, and Nicholas Rossi was taken in for a psyche eval to determine whether or not he would hurt himself or anyone else. And again, here we have the two different versions of Nicholas Rossi. One side who talks passionately about improving the laws and conditions for children who are in the foster care system. 
the other side, who imposes himself on women and violates their boundaries. While he was able to maintain this facade for most of his acquaintances, appearing to be more the former than the latter, there were many cracks that showed who he really was. There's a saying, necessity is the mother of invention. Well, it's also the mother of mommy makeup. After being a professional makeup artist for over 20 years, Deborah Rubin Roberts had the privilege to work with some of the best brands and talent in the beauty industry. But it was becoming a mom that was the catalyst for Deborah to develop mommy makeup. She figured if she needed clean cosmetics that were fast and easy to use and gave makeup artists quality results, surely other women did too. Makeup Mommy is talc-free, so it's not drying and won't scratch delicate skin. It's paraben-free, meaning it will not upset hormonal balances. It's cruelty-free, no animal testing, and certified with PETA's Beauty Without Bunnies program. Non-comodogenic, which means it won't clog pores. Multitasking, so it saves time, money, and clutter. Made in the USA to ensure the quality of their ingredients and support their nation's economy. They also offer free shipping on all U.S. orders. I highly recommend taking advantage of their free color consultation. Just send in your selfie and they'll reply back with shade suggestions. You'll also receive a $10 gift card to use towards your first order. Go to mommymakeup.com slash free dash color dash consultation. Everything they do at Mommy Makeup, they believe, will save you time and money, yet still make you feel and look your best. You can save 20% off your first makeup order by using the promo code SERIALNAPPER at checkout or by going to mommymakeup.com slash SERIALNAPPER. Just use the code SERIALNAPPER, all one word, at checkout or go to mommymakeup.com slash SERIALNAPPER to save 20% off your first order. I can tell you that my personal favorites are the Triple Sticks Lipstick Cream Blush and Treatment All-in-One and the Stay Put Matte Lip Cream. I have it in the shade Dusty Rose and it's stunning. Check out my show notes for all of the details. Now back to our story. He was known to join just about every get-rich-quick scam that came across his lap, and he would borrow thousands of dollars from friends with no intention of ever paying it back. He was a sleazeball, and it's a wonder that he was able to keep his sex-related crimes a secret for so long. He told everyone that he knew and would write in his biography that he was a Harvard scholar. Truthfully, he had enrolled in a class at Harvard, but he was kicked out after they became aware of his criminal past. People who hung around the same circles at that time said that he dated a certain kind of woman, the kind who was recently out of a bad relationship and was looking for a rebound. He would take advantage of any situation, particularly if it involved a vulnerable woman. Nicholas Rossi made a big mess in Ohio. He would fraudulently obtain $200,000 worth of credit cards and loans under his foster father's name. He met and divorced his first wife, who stated that he had continuously violated a restraining order against him. He would also meet 
and marry and divorce his second wife, Catherine Heckendorn, who knew him as Nick Alaverdian. Even though the couple were only briefly married, allegedly he made her life a living hell. She claimed that the very next day after they were married, the mask came off and he began abusing her. When they lived together, he would lock her in the bathroom, sometimes for days at a time. Whenever she left the house, he would track her every movement by using her cell phone. And here's the scariest part. Catherine claims that when they were in the middle of an argument, and if Nicholas was hitting her or pushing her, she would call her mother crying for help. As soon as she got on the phone with her mom, Nicholas would immediately calm down and put on a normal voice, which would only make Catherine look crazy to her mother. He was able to turn the emotions and the violence on and off like a light switch. In May of 2016, Catherine decided to finally leave Nicholas, and it nearly killed her. She packed up all of her belongings and her dog, and she got in her car and she left, only to have him chase her down in his vehicle. This resulted in a head-on car crash. Thankfully, no one was hurt, and Catherine was able to get away, though she said that he continued to harass her for years, and there was around $60,000 that he had borrowed from her that she knew that she was never going to get back. With all of these charges and potential charges incoming, the heat was really on for Nicholas. He was now looking at charges for rape, kidnapping, fraud, and more. In 2019, he decided to flee the country, thinking it would be his best chance at avoiding all of these charges and jail time. There's a bit of uncertainty about where exactly he went, and the story has changed several times depending on who he is talking to. Authorities believe that it's most likely he either moved to Ireland or Germany, though he has also told people that he moved to Quebec, Canada, and Switzerland. He would keep in touch with several acquaintances back in America and keep them somewhat up to date with his new life, wherever he was, though they could never tell exactly what was the truth and what was a lie. One of his most exciting updates was that he had once again gotten married and he now had two children. And then during the phone calls, he began talking about how sick he was. Nicholas said that he had been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin lymphoma. He had been battling it for quite some time, but now he said he was in the hospital dying. Only those closest to him could see what was really happening. So in early 2020, when Nicholas Rossi's wife contacts City Hall in Rhode Island to let them know that he had passed away and to request a proclamation of his death be read out loud, people believed it. His closest acquaintances saw that this was likely an attempt at faking his own death. They didn't believe it. However, his supporters, who saw him as this child advocate, fully believed that he had died, and they wanted to honor all of the wonderful work that he had done. Different journalists and politicians began to arrange tributes and memorials for him, while an extensive obituary is posted online. It's quite long, but I'll read you a passage from it. Nicholas Alaverdian's battle for life ended on February 29th, 2020. 
the children and families in the care of the Rhode Island Department of Children, Youth, and Families, for whom he inspired and led through turbulent government transgressions, have lost a warrior that fought on the front lines for two decades. Mr. Alvadarian died two months after going public with his diagnosis of non-Hodgkin lymphoma. He was in his 32nd year. At the bedside were Mrs. Alaverdian and their two children and extended family. His last words were, quote, Fear not and run toward the bliss of the sun. At the time of his passing, the room was filled with the sounds of the end credits for the 1997 film Contact by composer Alan Silvestri, a film and score which held special meaning for Mr. Alvadarian. Mr. Alavadarian was a devout Roman Catholic. In keeping with Mr. Alavadarian's wishes, his earthly remains were cremated with his ashes scattered at sea. Statesmen and stateswomen in the House of Representatives and Senate joined with mayors across Rhode Island in homage to a man whom they acknowledged as, quote, one of the most vocal, outspoken, and constructive advocates for reforming Rhode Island's DCYF and the childcare system, end quote. His name, when uttered in memoriam in the House and the Senate chambers and city halls throughout the Ocean State, was a fitting tribute as those were the spaces where Alavadarian labored as a warrior for those without a voice for two decades, commenting on, I'm sorry, I'm having our time with this, commenting on not just issues surrounding the Department of Children, Youth, and Families, but also business health public safety and education. Oh my gosh, this is actually like, this is much longer than I thought it was. Just a little bit more and then I'm, I'm, I'm cutting it off. Providence Mayor George O. Elorza remembered Mr. Alaverdian, I can't even say his name one more time, as a quote, beloved community leader whose selflessness and lifelong contribution, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. It goes on and on and on and it lists his many accomplishments. It also lists the names of all of his very important friends, and his extensive Harvard education, which of course is fake. People began talking and word spread that Nicholas Rossi may not actually be dead after all. The Rhode Island State Police launched an investigation to determine whether or not Nicholas's death was legitimate. They received several tips from people who knew him, claiming that he was still alive, just living internationally under a different identity. Along with the fact that he was facing several outstanding warrants for charges of rape and fraud, there was good reason to believe that his death had been faked. In late 2020, something interesting happened and it caught the eye of investigators. Someone, assumingly Nicholas himself, had changed the Wikipedia page that had information about him. He went as far as to change the photo of himself to someone completely different, all in an attempt to obscure his true likeness. He also edited the content on several other pages that had information about his death. Clearly, he was trying to control the narrative, but it was caught and it was flagged and it bolstered the purpose for an investigation. An Interpol notice was put out featuring photos of Nicholas and of his unique tattoos, as well as a list of all of the suspected names that he was using, and there were many. Investigators didn't have to wait long. 
On December 13th, 2021, a man by the name of Arthur Knight would be admitted to the Glasgow Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Scotland. He had a severe case of COVID-19. The medical staff in charge of caring for him would refer to him as the sickest patient on the ward. And it's true, Arthur was very sick with COVID, and he required a ventilator. He was so sick that he was put in a medically induced coma for some time. And this is when the nurses took notice of the very large and distinguishable tattoos that Arthur Knight had. They resembled the very same tattoos that a wanted man, Nicholas Rossi, had. Interpol had just recently issued a red notice that had his full description and photos of his tattoos. The medical staff called the police, and when Arthur Knight woke up from his coma, he was arrested but not before charging at the medical staff when he discovered what was happening. Arthur Knight flat out denied that he was Nicholas Rossi. Of course, when he was back at the police station, he was fingerprinted. Arthur Knight's fingerprints would turn out to be a perfect match to Nicholas Rossi. But Arthur refused to accept this determination, saying that the prints were faked. As for his tattoos, which seemingly matched those of Nicholas Rossi, he claimed that they must have been put on him while he was in a coma at the hospital. Yes, he said that someone came into his hospital room and tattooed him with these large, ugly, gross tattoos in order to frame him as Nicholas Rossi. Looking at the photos of Arthur Knight compared to Nicholas Rossi, it's clear that he did put forth some effort to alter his appearance. He has put on quite a bit of weight, and he has also changed his glasses and his hair, and he has a bit of a beard. But in my opinion, his eyes don't lie, and they are a dead giveaway that it's him. This man was still very sick, so he was granted bail shortly after the arrest so that he could receive some more medical treatment. Once he was cleared, he was rearrested on January 20th at his home in Glasgow. Arthur Knight says that he was an Irish orphan who fled to England when he was a teenager. He had spent the last 11 months living in Glasgow as a tutor with his wife and his two children. While his marriage certificate says that Miranda Knight, his wife, married a Nicholas Brown, he insists that he actually changed his name, and for good reason. When he married Miranda Knight, he decided to take her last name as his own last name, stating that he had PTSD from his childhood and the name Nicholas Brown had a negative emotion attached to it. So while he eventually agreed that he did change his name from Nicholas Brown to Arthur Knight, he still maintained that he was not Nicholas Rossi. His wife Miranda stood right by his side, fully agreeing that this could not be the man wanted on charges of rape and fraud in America because her husband was just not that way. Though I'm not really sure she believed it. Either way, here is a clip of an interview with the two of them shortly before Arthur's trial. Who are you? Hi, I'm Arthur Knight, and this is my wife, Miranda Knight. Are you Nicholas Rossi? No. Are you Nicholas Alaverdian? Absolutely not. Are you Nicholas Brown? Yes. These are very serious charges that this man faces. They claim this man faked his own death to evade those charges. Did you fake your own death? Sure, I was sitting having a conversation 
I've never been dead to anyone. Now, if I have any listeners from Ireland, Scotland, or the UK, the three places he alleges to have lived his whole life, I'd love to know what you think of his accent. I'm not an accent expert by any means, but apparently he's known to switch back and forth and it's odd and people think it's highly suspicious. So let me know what you think. The first court hearing was to determine Arthur Knight's identity 100%. He showed up to trial in a wheelchair wearing a ventilator mask, still suffering from COVID-related complications, he said. There was a lot of evidence to support that Arthur Knight was indeed Nicholas Rossi, including those tattoos, his fingerprints, and, well, his DNA sample, all of which confirmed that these men were one and the same. And that brings us to where we are today. Nicholas Rossi, a.k.a. Nicholas Alvedarian, a.k.a. Arthur Knight, and at least 13 different aliases, he will be extradited back to the U.S. to face charges of rape and likely some charges of fraud. This is all slowly going through the courts currently, and it may take a while. There's also an allegation of rape out of the UK that Nicholas has to answer for first before he even makes it back to American soil. His victims and many of his acquaintances back in the US were shocked to hear that he was still alive and living a brand new life with a wife and kids and a brand new identity. However, they are all looking forward to finally having closure. As it turns out, there are many more victims of Nicholas Rossi than investigators initially thought. It's true that Nicholas Rossi had a difficult upbringing. His father abandoned their family. His home life with his stepfather and mother, it was tumultuous. And then he was in foster care, which we know is a broken system. But by some chance of luck, he was given an opportunity and a platform where he really could have done some good for other children who were in similar situations. Unfortunately, he threw it all away. When people in high places extended him a hand, he climbed right over them and he took advantage of the situation. I'll keep you posted on social media when I hear any updates, but so far he has alleged that he's been tortured in prison and he has had his wheelchair confiscated for trying to use it as a weapon. I have no idea how he did this. So he's keeping things interesting while he's awaiting his fate. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper, or I post things on TikTok, Serial Napper Nick, and that's all one word. If you're watching on YouTube, I'd love if you could give me a thumbs up and subscribe. Until next time, stay safe, stay kind, especially in the comments. Bye.